Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. The following podcast contains strong language, like what the actual fuck. Hello, this is Daisy, and you're listening to What the Actual Fuck. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck. Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to a very special WTAF. Now, uh, you will be in a second listening to my conversation with the Hollywood legend that is Paul Feig. Uh, just to let you know that Neil couldn't make it on this one, unfortunately. So it's just me. Um, I have some questions from Neil and also some questions from a lot of our listeners as well. So sit back and uh, listen to my chat with the wonderful Paul Feig. Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to a very special episode of WTAF of This Country Podcast. Our guest on this episode is a Hollywood and comedy giant that has directed, written, and produced TV shows and movies that has shaped comedy for the last 20 years, such as Freaks and Geeks, Arrested Development, The Heat, Bridesmaids, Spy, and is, in my opinion, responsible for directing some of the greatest episodes of the US office, like Dinner Party, Goodbye Toby, Niagara, and goodbye michael he is also directing welcome to flatch the u.s version of this country and he is the man zz top wrote most of their hits about yes he's got legs so let's give him all our loving because everyone's crazy about a sharp dressed man ladies and gentlemen mr paul feig Oh, I'm sure you can. I'm going to turn the fan off because I, I believe that's going to make a noise. Right. Um, first of all, thank you so much for spending some, you know, giving us some of your time. because I know that you're deep into editing uh, of your latest film. Um, how's that going? Uh, really well, really well. We're about a little more than a week into the um, <clears throat> editing post-production and it's uh, going great. We shot it in Belfast and it was a big giant production we've got a ton of special effects we have to do but um so far so good so i'm very happy can you tell us a little bit about what it's about or is that sort of under wraps at the moment no no it's based on a, a series of books called the school for good and evil and uh this is the uh, the, the first book and uh, it's basically the story of uh 
two two young women in a very small town uh, who think who hear about this school called the School for Good and Evil, and one wants to be a princess, and one is the daughter of a witch, and so they assume they're going to be going to the School for Good and Evil, and they actually end up going to the opposite schools, and then you find out why that happens, and it's a big big fun fantasy, a lot of comedy, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, action, a lot of effects, and uh, it's gonna be fun. So when you when you we will talk about Welcome to Flatch in this country a little bit later on. But um, when you first started your career, was your plan to do as many different genres as possible? Because you seem to uh, you don't seem to stick to one thing, do you? Yeah, I, I didn't start out that way because <clears throat> I, I just wanted to do comedy. And you know, back when I first started out, I you know I just wanted to do <clears throat> crazy comedies like Marx Brothers movies and What's Up Doc and those kind of things. But then, you know, as I kind of <clears throat> became a stand-up comedian and 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 studied film and went to film school and and, and became an actor and all that, I, I just started getting fascinated with genres because for comedy, genres are great because what you do for comedy is you're always trying to subvert what's expected. And so if you go into different genres, you can subvert the tropes of those genres. And then when I started directing television a lot... I was working in, you know, one week I'd be on a medical show and there's Jackie. The next week I'd be on, you know, a comedy. I'd be on all these different genres and then saw other shows that I wanted to do and going like, oh, it'd be fun to work in that genre. So then when I started doing movies, it's like, you know what? Let's just start working our way through the genres. And um, it's really kind of my goal to sort of hit them all. You know, if, if I kind of can pull off a career where I every movie's a little different with still my voice in it. You know, I mean, honestly, it's, it's my, still my sense of humor, which some people love and a few people hate, but uh, it's in there. So, uh, you know, that's, that's my goal. <laughs> is, is there any specific genre that you would like to tackle that you haven't, or is there any specific genre that you would sort of stay away from? Uh, I'm dying to do a musical. We've been, been forever trying to develop a musical, like an original musical. So I want to do that. I want to do a big sci-fi epic. I'd love to do that. Um, I'm tempted to do a Western, although that's one I might stay away from. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I don't know. Honestly, there's nothing I, I really am, am avoiding. I mean, I'd love to do a horror movie, like a flat-out horror movie that I could you know, put some fun stuff into. So... No, there's not really too much that's that's off limits for me. I, I won't do a porno, okay? Let, let's I'll stay away from that. <laughs> I mean, yet. I mean, never, never can. Well, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, if the career downslides. You never know where I end up. So, um, so, so obviously, with working in movies and in TV, what is the difference between being a movie director and a TV director? Um. Well, in in TV, what it is, you're going into a a machine that's set up, unless you're going to direct the pilot, um, then you're helping to, you know, set the, the tone, the cast and all that. But you're still you're still working for the executive producer, the showrunner. Uh, they call the shots. So it's almost like they're sort of the director in television. And as a TV director, you, it depends on the showrunner, really. You can come in and have a lot of say. And some directors, you come in and they just want you to do what, what they tell you to do. I was lucky because since I created Freaks and Geeks, when I started directing television, people already knew me as a as somebody who had his own TV show, you know, and was a, a you know executive producer on it with, with, with Judd that I was on that one. But I kind of came in with not just I had a little more cred as a writer, so uh, that's why I just had a lot more input on the on the TV shows that I um that I directed. But still, yeah, you are working for that show and for that showrunner, and your goal really is to come in with your ideas and how you want to do it. But if then they go like, that's not what I had in mind to 
abandon that and go like, okay, what can I give you? But you never want to come in and go like, all right, what do you want? Because, you know, having run a show also, that's the last thing you want from a director because you got a million things you're dealing with at the, you know, the same time. But, you know, you don't want to be the guy that comes in and goes like, no, that's terrible. If you do it your way, I'm going to do it my way. So you got to be that way. And then with movies, you know, you're really, you're, here, I'll give you an example of this. I worked with a cinematographer who, who shot a movie for a famous actor who had directed. And I said, well, how'd it go? And they, and they said, well, the, that it was bad because they got stuck with a really bad script. And I was like, no, direct, movie directors don't get stuck with bad scripts. If you take it on, you have to make it a good script. You are building it from the ground up. You're the one in charge. Obviously, you're, you know, the studio has a lot of input, but you know, you're the one calling the shots. And so that, that's what's nice about movies. And that's why we like directing movies because you get to build the world each time. Right. Now, there's a lot of similarities between this country and the original office and Welcome to Flatch and the American office. Uh, I listened to the Office Ladies podcast, which I think you've been a guest on. um, And they seem to be a very, very tight knit crew crew and cast. So was it easy to go in there the, the, the first time when you've directed your first episode with them? Well, that's always the weird thing when you're a TV director. You're coming into a family that's already established. I mean, when I came out of the office, they had only done the first season, which was only six episodes. Mm. Um, it was a very short season, very like a UK season, really. But, you know, in America, it's always like 22. It used to be. Now they've cut it down to more like 13. But it used to be 22 to 24 episodes. So, you know, you usually kind of come in like, okay, let me meet everybody. But they had, they'd been together, but they weren't so bonded that it, I was like an outsider. And also, they a lot of them knew Freaks and Geeks were, were fans of that. So it was pretty easy to slide in there. Um, and they were just such a wonderful group. I mean, they were just a delight to work with. And it's something about that documentary style, which, you know, we'll talk about with about this country and, and Welcome to Flatch. There's, it's a very friendly style because you have two cameras that are up documentary style cameras run usually by people who work in the documentary world so they're really good at just capturing things as they happen and then you just do the scene so it's a very it's a much um i won't say lower stress there's always it's always stressful to make something because you don't want to screw up and you know they just got to do their thing and be good but it's it goes very fast mm. so you know when you shoot a scene you shoot the whole scene in one take and then you go back and keep doing it just to get different performances versus a movie where okay now let's get your close-ups all right now let's get a master <clears throat> you know so by the end of the day you've done one scene two scenes and you you know the actors have done the lines a bazillion times from a million different angles so you know that documentary style just everybody's fresh and everybody's trying stuff out and you can improv and you're like hey try this try this surprise me with this surprise me with that and you have it all each take so i think that makes a much i wouldn't say happier set but it makes a much freer and kind of loose set uh, if you will mm. well the dinner party episode specifically now we've spoken to and we haven't spoken to actors that were that worked on that particular show but we've worked at, we've spoken to actors when they've said about getting the giggles and 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 corpsing and when you see the the bloopers from that particular episode and i've heard jenna fisher talk about the fact that the scene where steve carell is talking about his widescreen tv <laughs> i mean have you got to be a little bit harsh with them and tell them that come on guys we've got to get this shot or or do you do you you encourage that I'm the worst. I'm the oh, one. Right. I break more. <laughs> I ruin more takes than they do. Honestly, no. I love it. I love when that 
energy is around. A lot of times crews, especially in a movie, crews get really like, oh, they keep laughing. I'm like, don't you turn the cameras away and don't stop rolling and, and also don't give them a hard time because I love it because it means they're in a fun place, you know, and I want that energy on the screen. I mean, look, occasionally you're just like, oh, my God, we're running out of time, you guys. But even then, I don't want to be I don't want to clamp down on anybody because I was an actor for a long time. And especially in comedy, you know, if somebody in charge is going like, stop that. What are you doing? You, you, you tense up and you kind of you turn off all your powers because you're like, oh, shoot, if I try that, they're going to yell at me. And I don't want that on my sets. I want somebody to have some crazy idea or like surprise me. I'm like, what the hell was that? That was hilarious. And if they do it and I think, oh, what the hell was that? That was terrible. I'll still go like, oh, hey, that was great. Because sometimes I get back to the editing room and the thing I thought was terrible on the set turns out to be like the best take or the funniest take. It just wasn't I wasn't what I was expecting or had in mind. So um, I love that kind of looseness and, and fun on the set. So is that a built in skill that you have in regards to like not when to say cut? Um, you know, it, it, I mean, I always say that the, the secret to to doing comedy, I think personally for me, you know, everybody is, is different. Your mile, your mileage may vary as they say, um, is that I, you have to be confident enough to do it, but then not confident enough to think, you know, everything, you know? And, and so, you know, cause I have in my head what I think is going to be funny. And a lot of times I've written the script, you know, and I'm like, Oh, this will be great. But then when they don't do it the way I want, or they try other things, I'm not confident enough to go like, no, you're wrong. I'm right. This is funnier than what you're doing because it's coming out of them. It's organic to them. And so I think my greatest skill is the ability to go like, okay, like I don't have an ego about it. Sure, I I have an ego about it, but to tamp that ego down and go like, try it your way. Try that. Let's try it this way. Let's try that. And again, that goes back to why the documentary style is so great because, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if you get in a movie, I, I still shoot a lot of stuff like that, but you're kind of like, okay, I got to figure out how to make this work and how do I shoot other stuff that'll go with it. The documentary, it's all there. So, uh, so it's really, it's just the ability to let people, let people do so much that they feel like they've tried everything. You've tried everything. You know, I, I always say you want to leave a scene exhausted, you know, like everybody, like the crew. What's so funny is like, you know, like some of the funniest stuff I've ever been involved with on the day when we're doing it, the crew's just sitting there like looking at you and they're like, this isn't funny. And they're looking at their watches and they're like, oh my God, are you going again? And like, what are they doing? And that's stupid, you know, but audiences don't know that you're only getting it in the moment. And so, um, you know, so you just gotta, it's like fishing. You gotta wait for the big fish to come in. <laughs> right. So, so going on to this country, when did, when did this country first sort of come on your radar? Well, I was, um, it, it was a few things happened. I think, I have a we have a TV deal at Lionsgate, and we got flagged that they were that this was up for you know up to for a remake. Um, I hadn't seen it yet, but I'd read about it, but I wasn't able to get it because I was in, in the U.S. and for some reason I just I wasn't able to find it. Um, and then people in my company, um, one of my creative executives, uh, um, Greg Lubin. He kept coming in going like, you got to watch this show. You're going to love this show. He said, you got to watch it. And I was like, and I was so busy with that stuff. I was like, I, I will, I will. And then it was really, then I, then I was in London doing this, doing um, Last Christmas, the movie I just did with um, Amelia Clark yeah. and Henry Golden and found, found it on my BBC iPlayer. And so I was like, oh, I got to watch this. And I watched it and we're just, my wife and I watched it and we're just like, 
instantly fell in love with it. I mean, like, you know, five minutes into that first episode, I'm just like, this is exactly my kind of humor. I love it. Um, yeah, and it was just that. I remember calling up and going like, okay, we got to get this. We got to get this. Because also I'm very, I get very protective of other people's stuff. And when I see something like that, I go like, oh man, you could do that so poorly. You know, that could be so ruined so quickly if somebody didn't do it the right way. And if I really love something, I go, I want to try to figure out how to adapt this for an American audience, but how to keep all the stuff about it that people love and that I love about it. Well, when we spoke to Jenny a few weeks ago, um, and we also, I think when we spoke to Daisy and Charlie, they said that they they had a meeting with you uh, in Sirencester. Um, yeah. Their hometown. Well, that's that's where we come from. We I live in Sirencester as well. Oh, nice! And it was the, the thought of thought of seeing seeing you all dressed up, like walking into the King's Head. I thought I would just wish I'd have been there just to see that. Um, so I was. Well, you sort of answered my question. What did you think of Sirencester when you you came in? Oh, it's a beautiful town. Oh, it's just just a gorgeous place. I mean, I, I'm from <clears throat> I'm from Detroit, but my mom was Canadian, and so we we had a cottage uh, for the summers uh, in in a place called Harrow. And it was very, you know, you know, you know, Harrow, but there's a Canadian <laughs> one too. And so I grew up kind of around that sort of that that kind of a town. Honestly, yours is bigger than the one I, I was around, but um, I just love that, you know. And my wife and I are huge Anglophiles. I mean, we met 31 years ago out of a love, mutual love of London, of the UK, and we've been coming ever since. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just like, you know, catnip to, to me. And my wife, when she watches this country, she's like, I want to live there. You know, <laughs> she's like, is in love with it. So, um, no, so it, it feels, I, I just loved it. And it was so fun to meet uh, Charlie and Daisy because I was such a fan. And, and, um, and you know, it turned out that, that Daisy was a, a fan of uh, Freaks and Geeks. So it was kind of a fun, fun uh, fest we had going there. That's great. Um, I've got a few questions from uh, listeners and a couple from Neil as well, my co-host who couldn't make it. Um, I'm going to ask a few of them if that's okay. Can you see the two versions colliding and Kerry and Kurt and meeting Kelly and Shrub? Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if Jenny talked about that, but we were always wanting to do that. We were going to try to pull it off in this first season and we weren't able to, but we definitely want to do that. We think it'd be fantastic to, to have them show up. So they, because I think when we spoke to Jenny, she sort of mentioned a little bit, and I think it was the fact that it's great that the two shows are in the same universe, so we can at least say that, so that the potential is there. Oh no, totally. We want it's almost like a sister city, you know. Flash is a sister city to to, to, to you guys, so uh, yeah, we, we definitely would love that. Okay, uh, Kim asked, uh, I'd love to know if Paul, uh, if he could play any character from one of his films or series, which would it be and why? <laughs> I love that. I would probably play the guy I played in, in Spy as with the drunk guy that runs into the wall and falls down. <laughs> I think that's the part I was born to play. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm in all my movies because I put so much of myself and my personality and my, you know, insecurities into these characters. So um, I, I think I think everybody's better off if I'm not on the screen. <laughs> Um, Helena asked, what's your favorite episode of this country? Oh God, boy, that's a tough one. Um, mine changes, mine changes, I think for weekly. I I was going to say, I mean, I really love the one where she's selling the, the energy drink. I just think that one is just so funny. Just the way her and the, that outfit, you know, yeah. I know, but it, it's really hard. I mean, every season there's so many great episodes. But I, I'll go with that one for today. For today. Um, so is do you look at the episodes of this country and, and are you going to take 
I mean, I don't want you to give us any, obviously, plot spoilers, but will you take certain strains of the storyline and adapt them for Welcome to Flatch? Yeah, these first 14 that we already shot, um, there was, you know, certain certain episodes are just completely out of out of our heads and and other ones are inspired by things that happened in some of the other episodes. So, you know, we never wanted to like copy exactly, but but there's some stories that are so funny. We're like, oh, my God, we got to use that. Even if it turns out to just be one of the stories, you know, of our two or three stories in our in our episodes. But, yeah, we are we're definitely borrowing heavy heavily. Yeah. So so when it comes to there's I mean whenever anybody decides that they're going to reboot something or or do it their own version of it there's always especially these days with twitter and instagram there's always a negative side to it and we've seen it you know being sort of part of the this country fan base if you like yeah does does that to you does that become something that's a bit like a, a a pressure on your shoulders or do you feel more determined to make sure that it's right with that I mean, it's a pressure. I've been through it before, and I've been through the bad side of it with Ghostbusters, you know. And um, but I was also around for the, for, you know, the Office. Honestly, you know, the Office originally, back before it got made, was being offered around, and I was offered it to to run it. And I was like, "Are you crazy? I'm not touching that because it's, it was so such canon, you know, to to comedy fans." But then Greg Daniels came in and did it and did it so brilliantly, and I was just like, "Oh, so it can be done." But I was involved in a really bad adaptation of um, the Australian show Kath and Kim that was an absolute disaster. Uh, it wasn't all my fault, definitely. <laughs> but, um, but you know, it can go either way. But you can be frozen and not do anything if, you're, if you get affected by that because you just know it's going to happen. It's going to happen no matter what. You know, it'll happen with these, the movie I just made out of these books. There's fans of the books. You know, and you try to be as true as you can, but at the same time, you also go like, but a book is not a movie and, and, and also the original show has to work over here. We had a very interesting thing happen when we, you know, I, I came in after the first six episodes, you know, of The Office, like I said, but... I don't know if you how much you know the backstory of it. I can give you the, the quickest thing, which was, yeah. you know, they loved the original office and the first six, they wanted to get that exact same tone where, where Michael Scott was going to be as mean as Ricky Gervais's character was. And it was hilarious, but American audiences were like, audiences were like, no way. No, they just, for some reason, American audiences do not embrace an unlikable lead character the way that a UK audience will. And that's what I love about British comedy is you you guys have much more fun taking the piss out of the lead character. Mm. In American comedy, the lead character has to be somebody you root for, and then you can have mean people all around them. And so it was when, after these first six, and they almost it was going to get canceled. It was really only because Kevin Riley, who was running the network at the time, liked it and wanted to keep it going. But then 40-Year-Old Virgin had come out that summer, uh, and done so well and it was all like well why did that work and, and steven this doesn't work and it's like you know what he's got a likable's like a, a shitty word to use but you have to root for the guy and so that was when you decided oh michael has to be he's he's a boor and he's he's obnoxious and in everything but he means well you yeah. know so if you look at a lot of michael scott stuff going forward after those first six 
he's making terrible jokes and all that, but it's also because he wants to be accepted. He wants to be part of the group and he can't help himself. And he says terrible things, but he doesn't mean it or he does. And he's, he's too dumb to figure it out. And so <laughs> that's, that's why it kind of, then it took off, you know, but it, even that it took a while. Mm. So it's just something you have to be aware of with, with an American audience. Not, you know, that said, you know, not to give it a lot away, we didn't want to make, you know, um, uh, Kelly who, who in, in ours, uh, you know, is, under a different name we didn't want to make her um lovable we wanted to be able to keep that dynamic but we had other characters around them and still made them well-meaning but they're still it's it's a whole dance you really got to do you know um but i i am so excited it's killing me that we can't put the show out until next year it's just because they don't have space on the network because of sports but we are sitting on 14 of what I think are the funniest shows I've ever been involved with, with the most amazingly hilarious cast. So um, it's, just, it's, it's torture for me to know. These <laughs> I can't show these to you for like a half a year. So, it, it, they're good. it is crazy because I can remember when I can't remember. I must have read it somewhere on in, in, uh, a website where it said that there was rumors that there was going to be a This Country uh, remake. And I remember when they mentioned about The Office uh, way back when. And I watched the very first episode of the US Office and it was literally word for word remake of the pilot of the British one. Yeah. And I never watched the US Office then for, I don't know, a couple of years. And then I, then I think it was the 40-year-old virgin. And I thought, I'm going to give it another go. And now, as much as a lot of my... UK friends like look at me in a funny way. I think the US office is much better than the UK office. It's got so much more <laughs> heart. It's got so much more. And the difference is, is like you said, that David Brent just wants to be famous, right? And doesn't care about the people that he works with. Whereas Michael Scott genuinely thinks that they're his family and that he he loves them. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's really like I still I love the original one so much, but you know I almost kind of look at them almost like two different shows. You know, it, it's um, both great in their own way. It's just this one. You know, also the fact that on British television you do like generally six episodes per season, and back then we're doing twenty two to twenty four episodes. You know, you got to really people got to have a have a, a rooting interest in these characters to come back to them. You know, week after week. And what was great about The Office is. It does what every successful comedy on television, in television history, I've always felt does. It sets a place that you like to go to where you have people you like at. That's why Friends work so well. You're in those apartments mm. you love. That's why Cheers work so well. You go to that bar you want to go to. And that's why the office worked. You like that office space. And that's why I think this country works because you go like... I want to go to that small town and see these people. They are my friends now, even though sometimes they're crazy. It's really fun. They're like my crazy friends who I get to uh, watch from a safe distance and they can't embarrass me in real life. (laughs) And like we've said on the podcast so many times that everybody knows a big Mandy. Everybody knows somebody that you stay away from because you're frightened of just that little bit, you know, because you never know what they're going to do. A question from Ross. He says, is being true to the original something that is taken into consideration when adapting for another country or is it actually important to create something removed from the original? No, well, it's the big... It's the big question, but you never want to be, you never want to be, you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know, and that's why, like I said earlier, I like to come to these things because I really want to guard the tone of what I think made it so funny. And mm-hmm. to me, what made it so funny is the docu-style, the, the, the low-key nature of it, but also the extremeness of the characters, but their realness while they're being extreme. They're, they are like your weirdest friend 
but you never go like, oh, they're fake or they're just acting crazy, but they're not really crazy, you know? And then the town felt very real. Like we wanted to have that feel of like, you go like, is that an actor? Is that, is that a real person? You know, did they, and, and so I wanted that and also, or Jenny and I wanted that. And also we wanted to make sure that these characters were, especially, especially for the, you know, the, the two siblings in the, in the, in the front of it and, and for the priest and, and all that, you want to make sure that they're close to those characters because that worked, you know, to go in and like change something just because we want to put our own stamp on it. Then you are throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So I, we did not want to do that. So you really do want to be true to the show, but then up to a point, then you got to go like, okay, now we got to make it. And here's the thing. You don't, not, it's not even about, we need to make it our own. We let to, we need to let these actors make it their own. That's the yeah. most important thing. And that's why, you know, you look at the American office, why it works so well is each one of those actors own those characters so well that then you're not going like, well, oh no, act like that other character. You kind of cast people. So you go like, they're the same archetypes that we had, but now let's let them put their own personality on it. Mm. And so that that hopefully will get you going, like, oh, that's the show I loved, but now it's a whole different thing because of these people. And then by season two and season three, hopefully, they it's all natural, isn't it? They know their characters and, and the dynamics between the characters. Yeah, the, the goal is to kind of make you forget about the original one, not to go like, oh, it doesn't exist, but to go like, oh, oh, I love this one too. Oh, and I love that other one, you know, but but you're, you don't want people going like, no, that was funnier there. And that, okay, they tried to do that. And we did it funnier. Oh, they, they did it funnier. It, it shouldn't be a contest. It has to be two separate things that were birthed of the same mother, if yes. you will. <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh, that was nice. Blow your mind with that. <laughs> I feel like I need to like light up a cigarette after that one. <laughs> I know. I, I think I got to lie down. I, I, gotta, I think I hurt myself with that one. Um, so you've you've cast pretty much sort of unknowns. Um, but then the priest is uh, Sean William Scott. So, yeah. um, and he's a bit of a departure from the wonderful Paul Shahidi, who's sort of our priest, if you like. Um, so what was the thinking of, um, of uh, Sean William Scott? Because I think that's the one bit that I'm fascinated in watching, just to see what his dynamic is. Yeah, it, it, seems, it seems weird and it works so well because he is such a sweet guy He's got this kind of the same personality. You know, he he we were we were trying to figure out how who we were going to cast. And very early on, we heard Sean had read knew the original um, show and also had read the script and was just like, I have to play this role because he had wanted to you know, his mother had wanted him to be a priest, uh, you know, growing up and stuff. So he grew up around that sort of, you know, that that way of, of, of life. And so, you know, and Jenny and I were, were both kind of like. Sean, this big handsome guy, really. And the minute we sat down with him, we both went, "It's we're done." Like he is him. (laughs) It's crazy because he's just got the same sweet energy, uh, and and it 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 works like like gangbusters. I'm I'm telling you, you will. Everyone will immediately go like immediately just go like, "Okay, I get it." Yeah, yeah. But but on its face, it's very. You go like. Huh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing, whenever I listen to movie podcasts, you're hearing directors talking and casting directors, and that thing of like when you say that you see somebody and you know straight away that that's that person, is is that really the feeling that you get? Or do you, like, if you've seen 100 people, there's like three or four that you think that could be the person? Or does it really hit you like a bolt of lightning? 
it does hit you like a bolt of lightning, but it's generally the way it works is because, <clears throat> you know, it's like a freaks and geeks has happened all the whole time. <clears throat> you, you know, you see so many people and you're like, you know, I was an actor too. So I have great sympathy for any actor auditioning. I, you know, Judd Apatow's joke used to be every actor leaves one of my auditions thinking they have the role because I'm just like, <laughs> I want to make it happy for them. I like laugh because I sincerely enjoy what they're doing. You know, just sometimes they're not right for what we need, but you watch everybody and you're kind of like, okay, yeah, that person could work. That per- So you have this whole list of like, yeah, they could work. Yeah, they could work because you don't know how many people are going to come in and you might not get somebody who's perfect. And then there's that one person and you're just like, <gasps> and it just all the other names go out of your head and you're just like, that's the person, that's the person. And it happens all the time. I mean, it's crazy. I get nervous on the few occasions when it doesn't happen. You're like, yeah, I guess that person's okay. You're like, oh, I want that lightning bolt. But, you know, it almost always happens, especially when you work with great uh, casting directors. Yeah, yeah. Um, at Atisography uh, asked, knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently with the Ghostbusters reboot? And it does sort of, it, it sort of goes in a little bit with the expectancy of, like, Welcome to Flatch and the, the fans. Was, was there anything you would have done differently? I don't think so. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to say something. Not That's not the case. But, no, I mean, you know, when I went into it, you know, it was it was just this property that had been sitting dormant for 25 years, you know, and so I was like, well, you know, should, should I, you know, continue the story? Because, you know, but it was like, well, you know, Harold had just died and Bill had said he didn't want to do it. So I was like, well, I don't know. Do we want to just have two Ghostbusters, two of the original Ghostbusters and something? And it just, and I kept turning it down because I was just like, and it seems like a, like a minefield. I don't know. I don't know how to do this because we need to get compared. And really when, when Amy Pascal was kind of like, why, why won't anybody do this? Is this great idea? I went like, okay, well, if I was going to do it, how can I do it in my way that I think I can you know, bring a fresh energy to it. It was like, oh, let's reboot it with, uh, I work with all these funny women. Let's cast them in it. And that's, that was kind of the thought. And and, and we went into it just completely pure of heart. Like, this is going to be fun. Let's just make a really fun movie with a new cast so that, so that we won't get in the way of the old Ghostbusters. You know, that will exist and we're not kind of latching on to their canon. And and that was it. And I was, you know, really, you know, look, there's always little things you do different in a movie, but um but I honestly don't think I would have done it had we, you know, I mean, you know, Jason Reitman just did the did the new ones. I can't wait to see. And he made it a sequel. But he had he had a burning idea for it. I was like, well, that's awesome. I didn't have that burning idea. All the ideas that I had that were continuations just felt like, OK, well, there's handing over old technology. I'm a big fan of origin stories. So I was like, I want to know where the proton pack came from. I want to know why they do, you know, I want to see it invented for the first time. I want to see ghosts for the first time in a city. So, um, yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything, which I know will infuriate a bunch of people. <laughs> so I'm, so, I'm so used to it now. It's been five years. I can't, you know, it's, they can't yell at me any more than they already have. So, uh, no, that's, I'm that's very proud of it. And we won. Uh, I will say like, I was like, this is my, was my greatest gift the, the year, you know, after we came out, we won the Nickelodeon kids choice award for best movie beating out Star Wars and uh, Captain America. So I was like, well, I guess, you know, somebody like it. <laughs> there you go. So, so again, as a director and like, you're heavily into the editing, how hard is it to, to sort of finish something and say, that's it? Uh, do you like tinkering and do you like sort of, or are there, are there's like an itch that you can't scratch with every movie that you think, I wish I could have just maybe just done that or had another take on that? Yeah, you, you always want to keep working it. They always say, you know, movies, you, you don't finish a movie, you just kind of run out of time, <laughs> you know, and um, and that's how I always feel. I mean, there's always, my editor and I are, you know, we've done everything together ever since The Heat, 
and uh, and, and also he was on Brent White. He was on um, the Freaks and Geeks with me. So um, no, we just kind of always are looking to mine the best stuff and get you know keep working and working it and try to get it shorter if we can and all that. But um, yeah, every one of my movies. Here's the thing. The weird thing is because we do tons of test screenings, so I love watching my movies with with an audience. You know, in the early stages when we're just experimenting with stuff. You know, we start doing test screenings pretty early, just try out different things. And I always have so much fun and I love it. And when we lock it and we're doing the trainings and we're doing promotional screenings, I love to go to those. But every time I go to the premiere, when I'm watching the movie, the premiere, some switch in my head goes, I'm never watching this movie again. <laughs> and it happens. And I like never watch them again. Occasionally I'll run on, run into them on like TV or something, but I don't watch them again um, because I've seen them a bazillion times. So when you're, when you are editing then, because again, I've never seen the film being edited. Does it, become laborious or is it because you've got the passion to get the the final film sort of shaped does that what is that what uh, drives you on yeah you're very passionate as you're going through it there are days and moments when you're just like oh my god you know uh you get worn out a little bit because it's all your energy goes into trying to watch it fresh every single time you watch anything in it because you have to be the audience when you're when you're editing you know, and it, it's where, where editing and movies go awry <clears throat> is when you get so used to it and you know the story so well that you just start going like, okay, well, they'll get this or they'll get that or I'm going to put this in, you know, even though they don't like it. Or, you know, that's why we do all these test screenings because I don't necessarily want to know <clears throat> what people, <clears throat> how people would have done. You know, if you ask people for notes, well, you should have done this, you should have done that. It's like, I don't care about that. I want to know what don't you understand. You know, and so that's really why we do these test screenings, A, to see what they don't like, and B, to see what they don't get. Because so many times you'll be like, how do they not get that? But it's like, guess what? They didn't get it. So we got to make it clearer, you know. So uh, so that that's really what it comes down to. But you're pretty passionate about it the whole way through. But uh, there are days definitely you want to blow your brains out. <laughs> um, now, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's trademarks now that you are the best-dressed man in Hollywood. Oh, um, it? uh, um, it's it's got to be. Yeah. I mean... I'm going to put TM on my forehead. I'm going to attach it. Yes. <laughs> um, where, did that, where did that come from? And is it a bind? There must be days you wake up and think, I just want to wear some sweatpants and a T-shirt. I want to grow my hair out. I want to grow a beard. And I just don't care. There must be days you feel like that. <laughs> The only days I feel like that are the day before I have to travel somewhere. I'm like, oh, God, I got to pack this fucking suitcase. <laughs> um, like I, use, I, remember, I remember there's a time in my life I just put jeans and a T-shirt in a bag. But, um, no, it start, I actually started dressing up when I was a kid. I mean, I, I got my first three-piece suit when I was like eight or nine. Oh, right. Um, yeah, because and, and, I'd read – I always – well, I, I used to watch all these old movies with my mom and see Cary Grant and Fred Astaire. And you go like, wow, I like the way they look. And then I read this, like Groucho Marx was my hero when I was a kid. And I read this biography and there was some quote in there. It said like, you know, Groucho never trusted a man who didn't dress well. So I was like, well, I have to dress well because I've run into Groucho, you know. And it just started this whole mania with me of, of just dressing up. And, and, um, and also I just think I look better. I don't look good. I don't look good in like casual clothes. I have really sloping shoulders. So if I wear just like a t-shirt, I do look terrible. So I need a collar. I need lapels and I love it. It's, it's fun. I, I really just, I love dressing up. Did you ever run into great show? No, I never did. I never did. Uh, cause I, I didn't, by the time I had gotten to Hollywood, he had passed away. Uh, but right. I read some story early on about some kid who, or some young guy who had befriended Groucho at the end of his life and was hanging with him all the time. I was like, I want to be that. Yeah. <laughs> didn't happen. Um, have you got a favorite outfit? 
Um, whatever the last one I had on. <laughs> no, I, 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 I love, I love British tailoring. Uh, I, 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 I kind of splurge and get suits from uh, Savile Row, uh, the, the Anderson and Shepherd, which is one of the oldest uh, tailoring houses on, on the on there. So I get them. I get Isaiah, which is a, a Napoleon a Naples brand, which I'm wearing right now. Um, no, I, I just like whatever's comfortable and kind of looks fun, and uh, you know, I, I like to make a statement but uh, not too big of a statement <laughs> so must, uh, if you're traveling it must be like 10 suitcases is it because uh, on your instagram which i was looking at before we were uh, recording and enjoying your moves i have to say i thought some of your moves yeah. were fantastic there wasn't right. a single one where you were wearing the same outfit right i got a lot of suits let's just say that <laughs> um, but well, when I'm going like on location for a movie, I'll, I'll just ship a bunch of stuff, you know, because I, I, hate, I hate carrying suitcases. But when I'm on vacation, I, I'm pretty good at getting my suit selection down into one pretty, pretty good sized uh, uh, suitcase. It's all about how you fold them and, uh, if, you bring, and if you bring hangers or not. So. Right, right. Um, so what have you got uh, like planned for the future? Have you got any projects that you can tell us about or have you got a lot of things that are under wraps? Well, I'm just so buried in this movie right now. I'm, I'm going to be working on this for like until oh, the spring because there's so many special effects and all that. <clears throat> but we got a lot of TV stuff going on. I can't wait for, for Welcome to Flatch to come mm-hmm. out, which will come out at the beginning of the year. So we'll be doing a lot of promotion for that. Um, I've got other TV shows that we're, we're doing. I, I, we're in the middle of, we're almost finished shooting the second season of Love Life, which is on HBO Max. And I think it plays. I think it plays on Sky. It plays somewhere in the UK, which was Anna Kendrick was in the, the, that season. Now we have a whole new season with a whole new cast. Um, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which um, which we're trying to keep alive right now. NBC took it off, but we, we may be um, doing some more stuff with that. So that's exciting. We have a new show that's going to come out called Minx um, that we shot the pilot and we're just, just writing and, and putting together the, the first season, which is a, a very, very seriously funny show um, that's going to be on HBO Max. And I'm sure it'll end up you know, showing up here. Um, and then a couple of other projects I can talk about. And then, yeah, movie wise, we just got a lot of stuff in development and who knows. So and so obviously good. you want to do a sci-fi movie. So when Star Wars calls, you can do the Star Wars movie. I, I don't. I don't think. I, th- I think those are the fans. I'm, <laughs> I'm not stepping into that pond. Let's just, that's, that's a that's a little too much for my uh, my heart to play. Well, right. we're all really looking forward to seeing what you've done with um, Welcome to Flat. So I must admit, the first trailer. Uh, I mean, again, like everybody, we were a bit. So I wonder what it's going to be like. But after the first trailer, I'm quietly confident that it's going to be really, really good. And with yourself oh, and Jenny at the helm. Uh, and what looks like a fantastic cast. We're, we honestly, I mean, is there plans for it to come over to the UK? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. We, you know, that we'll, we'll always, we want to get everything everywhere. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah I, I can imagine that Lionsgate is in, in Fox are working working behind the scenes right now to, to get it set up somewhere. But um, I, I, I'm hoping we can, we can send you some, uh, some of the episodes, you know, as soon as we're able to kind of send them out early. That would be fantastic. You can hear what you think. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I, Pop, I've got one one other project that I'm very deeply involved in, which is I have my own gin. Wow! <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be it's coming to the UK um, in the next couple of months uh, because we, we sell it. It's it's all over the US right now. Artingstall's gin, um, but when you make booze in America, you sell it in 750 milliliter bottles. But if you want to sell booze in the UK, it has to be in 700 milliliter bottles. Oh, so you right. Have to, 
you have to redo the entire bottle. So, <laughs> so we just redid the entire bottle. It's coming out, and uh, I'm very, very proud of it. We've won tons of awards and everything. So I'm a now, big gin. I'm, I'm assuming there's a website for it. So yeah. if there Art, is. Artingstallsgin.com, artingstallsgin.com, which was my mother's maiden name because my mother, we're British on my mom's side, you know, and Canadian, uh, she was. Right, but, but from uh, my, my my grandmother was from Bolton, England. So all right, go. right. So we will put the We'll put the link to that in the show notes. So if anybody wants some arting stalls gin, did you say it was? Got there it. You go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, then they can just click on the link and they can get themselves a seven hundred milliliter bottle. <laughs> there you go. There you go. See that extra fifty. Sorry, sorry. Your, your government won't let it in. So. You, just, you just have to get two bottles to make up that seven hundred and fifty <laughs> milliliter. I'll buy you an extra martini and give you. There, there you go. Um, Paul, thank you so much for spending some time. We know how busy you are. Um, we are, like I say, we're really looking forward to it. If we get a chance to see it. You know, before and then, by all means, send us some uh, some copies. That'd be fantastic. Um, and just good luck with everything. Um, thank you so much for spending some time with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Bob, and thanks to your audience for for putting up with me. No problem. Thank you. So there you go. That's our chat with the wonderful Paul Feig, and a massive thank you to Greg and Anna for setting this up and helping get this all organised. Um, uh, that's it. So don't forget, please, to subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcast apps. Uh, or get your podcasts, I should say. And also uh, Patreon. If you want to become a Patreon peeper, go to patreon.com forward slash WTAF. Got loads of different rewards. Uh, there are still a few tickets left for our last live show in November, which will also be our very last WTAF episode uh, although we may come back in the new year to do recaps on Welcome to Flatch and um, come and follow us on all our socials at This Country Pod uh, so that's it from me and from an absent Neil Neil says bye wherever he is uh, and that's it from me so go and get plumbed you fuckers Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal.